Welcome to Fraggle Shrugged, the podcast where we read Atlas Shrugged, the classic libertarian mystery novel from 1957 by Ian Rand, and watch episodes of Fraggle Rock, a Jim Henson Muppet TV show from the 80s. And why do we do this, you ask? Well, of course to discover all the deep hidden connections between the two that we're absolutely convinced are there. My name is Henrik, and joining me as always is my co-host Siegfeld. Hello. Hey, we're back. Oh yeah. We are back. For more Fraggle Rocked. Fraggle Shrugged. Fraggle Shrugged. Uh, we're going to get the title at some point. It's going to happen. Yeah. So, um, how do I like it now? I think it's it's slowly developing. Uh, especially the, the book today is um, a lot of dialogue. Oh yeah, it's, uh, it's not an action-packed chapter. But uh, luckily we have the Fraggles to make up for that, because damn, that there's action on that show. Oh yeah. Yeah, should we get going? Just uh, straight ahead? Well, let's just get into it. Atlas Shrugged, Chapter 2, The Chain. Yes. Which I was very uh, disappointed to learn. No connection to the Fleetwood Mac song. I was I had fingers crossed that uh, it turned out that the song was just an elaborate uh, homage to this chapter, but no. Oh yeah, that would actually be wonderful, but no? No. No. It doesn't seem there's a, a big overlap between... Fleetwood Mac's ideologies and uh, at Ayn Rand's, um, but who knows? There may be more overlap with Fraggle Rock, really. It uh, it goes to show slowly in this podcast series that there are actually quite a lot of overlap. Yeah, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, let's not uh, let's not rush it. Spoil ourselves? No. Okay, so this chapter two of Atlas Shrugged. Well, not a lot happens here. It's very uh, static. Mm-hmm. After an initial just. Uh, perversely long description of a train arriving and just driving past a factory at night. We get introduced to Hank Reardon, the guy that's selling uh, Dagny Tackett, that weird experimental metal that they're going to make railroad tracks from. And we uh, just see him as uh, they're pouring the first batch of this strange new metal that he's been working on for 10 years and it's been his lifeblood. He's dedicated his life to it. And um, they're pouring it and he's feeling weirdly happy and he contemplates this i think it's pretty safe to say he's feeling his metal oh yeah he's uh, uh, we're saving the description for later it's intensely erotic just you just you wait dear listener it's interesting yeah it's, it has a clear undertone going on so after he's poured this first batch of metal he walks home and uh, we have a long family scene where he hangs out with his friends and family whom he thoroughly despises he's he's not into his family let's be Uh, honest with with somewhat good reason they act in an interesting way around him i would say in an in somewhat assholey way some of them are really uh unpleasant but I think he's really an asshole too. I think we'll get into this more later, but I actually think his wife is the only sane person we've met so far. <laughs> I, I liked her. I thought she was she was cheerful. She had a good sense of humor. She had self-awareness and critical thinking. So obviously she's a shrew that must be defeated. <laughs> exactly. Clearly this is not something that's valued a lot by this universe. No. You have to be, you have to fall in line with a certain thinking in order to be yeah. the protagonist in this story. Uh, so uh, I liked her. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, I thought Hank Reardon was just a great A asshole. So my short summary of this chapter is that 
a man forgets his wedding anniversary and proudly refuses to apologize. Then he donates to charity out of spite. Yeah, that's actually basically it. That's what happens. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he, he forgets his wedding anniversary. Uh, the wife wants Hank to promise to come to a party that she's planning and she just wants him to be there. He can choose the date and she will have it put in the calendar along with all the big business meetings and he just has to show up. Do you want it the, the 10th, uh, 9th, 11th? Uh, it doesn't make any difference to me. And it turns out the 10th is the wedding anniversary. Oh, yes. So she's uh, she's not even really mad about it. No. And not really even surprised. She just puts up with it in a sarcastic manner. Yeah, she she makes a joke or two. And she's she's used to it, obviously. She defends him very strongly for, for his mother, whom... I mean, she's 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 an unpleasant character as well. Oh yes, uh, the chip of the old block of the Reardon family of just being thoroughly unpleasant people. Yeah, it's not it's not the good people we're dealing with here. No, I mean, um, in the best person in the family, I guess, is the brother called Philip, who genuinely wants to donate to charity and and is almost hurt when uh, Hank donates to his charity and then expects Philip to feel personally happy. Because Philip, no, I just want these underprivileged people to, to be helped. It's not a personal thing for me. But I think, and, and we'll get into this later, but I think it's interesting how the book tries to subvert the whole idea about the Good Samaritan. Yeah. And it's it's just not pleasant to listen to how they basically set up 400 straw men in order to actually get through there yeah i mean it is a very hard uh, task to make just the most unlikable people in the world the heroes of a big epic story but but god knows rand is trying she is trying her darndest and it's barely working yes (laughs) so yeah not a lot happens but we get these character studies of these weird people that hank is around himself with and so maybe we should just focus a bit on this uh, Hank Reardon fellow, because I can tell he's going to be a big part of this story. So, uh, of course, this is Ayn Rand, so we get very intense descriptions of his looks. I just want to pull out a few things here. Um, he's tall and gaunt, which uh, I looked that up, that word. Some synonyms for that are skinny, mm-hmm. cadaverous, skeletal. And angular, that old favorite word of Rance. Oh, yeah. So, so why didn't she use this word again? I don't know. Maybe uh, she had a thesaurus laying around <laughs> and she didn't feel cadaverous was uh, suitable for her hero. I think cadaverous would have been, would have been amazing. That's, yeah. wow, a word. She's probably going to use it later because yeah. we can imagine that she's going to use every single word in the English language at some point in this book. Yeah. I think she's saving it to describe uh, John Gold. Mm. The, the mystical hero that we keep uh, hearing about in vague sentences here and there. Um, but also this guy has, his eyes had the color and quality of pale blue ice and ash blonde strands of his hair. And ever since he could remember, he had been told that his face was ugly because it was unyielding and cruel because it was expressionless. So... At this point, I'm picturing Anna Sam Wilson, the Danish Minister of Foreign Affairs and Lord of Social Media. <laughs> I mean, for the international listeners, you can just picture Anthony Michael Hall after a long <laughs> night of just cocaine and planning tax cuts. 
Yes. And I think, so, weirdly enough, Anna Samuelson would find this description very flattering. Mm. Sure, this is his hero. Oh, yes. <laughs> and <laughs> as for his personality, he never felt loneliness except when he was happy. And he had never been able to understand why men should be unhappy. So inferring from that, he just really likes loneliness. Mm-hmm. Which is understandable because he does not like his family, as we said. In fact, uh, he felt nothing for them now. Nothing but the merciless zero of indifference, not even the regret of a loss. I think it's safe to say that Hank Reardon isn't a people's person. No, not a big party guy, as he explicitly thinks in this. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to have a beer with him. Nope. And you would probably have to listen to a lot of stories about metal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he would be rubbing his metal all over there. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like the density of the metal and the size of the metal. Yeah. <laughs> He's fond of metal. Long, hard inches of his metal. <laughs> oh, oh, we will get into that. Oh, yeah. And I mean, this is the description of the, of the good guy. Meanwhile, his brother is just described as having a loose, gangling body. Uh, yeah, I, I also like stopped at that word, like gangling. It's, it's sounds uh, sounds sounds unpleasant. Yeah, like everyone seems to be basically skin on bone. Yeah, it is such a strange world. This world. <laughs> but people are very skinny, apparently. Yeah, but beyond that. The Philip guy doesn't really sound that bad. I mean, I, I think I'd like him. He is very devoted to a charity that gives free lectures in psychology, folk music, and cooperative farming. I think that sounds quite nice. Yeah, he sounds like a wonderful guy with interesting hobbies. Actually, an interesting person with an identity. Like, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should follow him instead of this Hank guy. Uh Incidentally, that uh, charity sounds like something a Fraggle might enjoy with the folk music. And oh, the maybe we have a like fellow Fraggle lover here in the universe. That's a, that's a thing to keep an eye out for. Yeah. Uh, and another character we have beyond the mother who's just horrible. And uh, let's not dwell on her because I just you can't, I can't, uh, can't uh, bear her. But Hank has a weird friend called Paul Larkin that just shows up and is there. Um who has moist fingers, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I really didn't get... What, what was his place in all of this? He was just hanging out. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, Hank asks why he's there, and he just describes which train he came on. <laughs> of course he did. Yeah. Because everyone is apparently obsessed with trains. <laughs> it, is, it is what makes the world go round. Uh, but I have a weird inkling that Paul is really in love with Hank. Oh, because uh, Paul Larkin was looking at him with the devoted eyes of an inhibited dog. The, the devoted eyes of an inhibited dog sounds problematic. He was smiling in gratitude for the attention. Mm. And he says, it's just that I'm your friend, Hank. I'm your friend. You know how much I admire you. So it's hard to discern when it comes to Ayn Rand whether people are in love with each other, hate each other, or are just just like each other mm. because the way she uses language are always like hyper expressive all the time oh yeah just listen to this description of his uh, his friendship 
His motive in the friendship seemed to resemble the need of an, an anemic person who receives a kind of living transfusion from the mere sight of a savagely overabundant vitality. Fucking. But again, with the anemic, <laughs> like she has a, like, she almost fetishizes, like, th thinness. But he is, he has a short, plumpish figure, so I just, I don't know. So how can you both be short, plumpish, and anemic? Welcome to the to the Ayn Rand world. Doesn't really make sense, does it? But is that basically it? Is that basically it for that chapter? Yeah, I mean, most of the stuff we can go into here is just character study stuff because uh, again, not much happens. We see the first batch of metal be poured for the new train tracks, and beyond that, not much. I think uh, what's interesting if we get into the objectivism of the things mm -hmm. because it is at a shrug. Um, I think it's interesting to keep an eye out for the for the trinket that he hands his wife. Oh yeah, uh, and how much meaning he ascribes to that, and how little meaning she yeah. in turn ascribes to it. Because this is a chain that he made from the first batch of this new metal he's been working for ten years on. He's made a little uh, bracelet mm -hmm. that he gives to his wife as sort of a big trophy, and she thinks just oh. They didn't have any valuable thing to... Oh, it's the same stuff they make railroad tracks of. Oh, I'm going to be the talk of the town. Mm -hmm. And he uh, is furious that she does not carry the same passion for train tracks as he does. But again, like on the from the outside looking in, you seem to feel bad for the guy. But then at the same time, he spends all of his life at work and basically mistreats his entire household, neglects them. Yeah. So are we really supposed to feel bad for him? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard feeling really <laughs> uh, bad because it describes how he just runs away from meals whenever he has a thought about this new ally he wants. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'll come out and say it. I may be jumping the gun here, but I don't like Hank. Oh, yeah, yeah. Something something told me as much. Yeah. Uh, and I agree. He's not a likable character. Uh, maybe he'll get redemption later. Maybe he's sort of an anti-hero that is turned around, but I wouldn't count on it. No, I, I think it, would only, it will only get more severe with the antagonistic behavior from here. I'm afraid so. All right, so should we jump into the Fraggle Rock episode? We can jump straight ahead because, wow, a lot of things are happening in that episode. Wembley and the Gorks. Yeah. Uh, we basically have, like, two main plot lines. We have a Fraggle story and a human story, as always. And do we just want a quick recap? Yeah. A kingdom is overthrown when a horde of hostile people of color invade and start a revolution. Yeah. So, That's basically it. Yeah. Um, so we have these two main plot threads, um, the Fraggle and the Human Story. Uh, the Human Story gets a little more weight here than last time, mm. uh, compared to last time, uh, because uh, the Doc is getting an award from apparently a North American Society of Tinkers, a Man of the Year award, and he's very proud of that. And his dog really doesn't want to let go of his owner to go to this conference to, to talk to him at this Man of the Year award, because he has to be taken care of by a... Mr. Schimmelfinny. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And we see they make this like weird choking thing I mean, when they uh, talk about him. It turns out that Sprocket the dog is a great impressionist. Apparently. But also like Mr. Schimmelfinny sounds like a dodgy character at best. 
Yeah, his cat is uh, very angry. His cat is certainly. So so his cat, Fluffinella, just straight up attacks uh, the dog the moment it gets in the door. So the poor dog uh, has got to have a Band-Aid over his nose for the rest of the story because it's been ripped to shreds by this bullshit cat. Which is in line with general cat behavior, I would say. <laughs> Clearly in, in this universe, at least. Um, but uh, yeah, to wrap up that story, uh, he comes home and they, he greets his dog in the end of the episode and he received this Man of the Year award. So at the same time, we have this fraggle narrative. Which is much more complicated. Exactly. So there's this postcard that they go to collect and then Boober comes along and he loses his lucky walking stick. And Boober is sort of uh, a depressed, superstitious, nervous type of fraggle. Yeah, a very heady character. Yeah. Um, and this is the first time we see him because we didn't see him in the first episode, as far as I remember. Well, he was uh, there in the background. Yes. He was complaining about a hideous round thing. Oh, yeah, that was the guy. That was the guy. Uh, so far, one of my favorite characters, I would say. Very re- relatable. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. Um, so they go to the Grog Garden in order to pick up a new stick for him. Uh, and in that process... Uh, Gobo gets caught by the by the Grogs. Gorks. Gorks, yeah, there you go. And and then we actually get it because okay, so he get gets caught by these creatures. And we talked about before we, we have an idea that they actually eat the fraggles. Yeah, we suspected it, yeah. So I I thought at that point, oh no, they're gonna eat him. But apparently what they want to do is turn the fraggles into slaves. <laughs> yeah. It seems uh, are their sole purpose in life. It's it's not really clear because there's this one guy who's capturing all the fraggles, and he wants to capture them and perhaps murder them with a stick. It's not really. Yeah, well, he wants to um, beat their head in with a stick. We really meet the Gorks for the first time in this episode, and it turns out that they're a little family, uh, a royal family, in fact. Oh yeah. The mother and the father are the king and queen of the universe, but they just don't mm-hmm. have any people or subjects or population to to rule over. Yeah, so it seems they they just want to enslave the whole fraggle. I mean, it's community. It's, it's really an existential nightmare being uh, the king of the world and not having anybody to be king over. Yeah, but he he uh, he actually connects with uh, with Gobo and um, he likes the king. No, from not, the beginning. not Gobo, Wembley. No, Wembley. Yeah, yeah. They yeah, catch yeah. Wembley, the yellow fraggle, which is that's right. Sort of a, a character that just wants to please everybody and uh, just be liked, which is perfect for a king who just wants someone to please him. Mm-hmm. So so he plays along with the king and they sit around and he eats and he sings for them. And then by mistake, uh, they manage to capture all of the other fraggles or a big portion of the other fraggles. Yeah, well, the other fraggles, uh, Gobo goes back and tells about this horrible, oh, oh, they caught Wembley and they, he sings a big marching song and they go out and they are caught. Oh yeah, this is where we get one of the songs. That's right. Um, and yeah, they're caught and then... This is where we find out that they only want to enslave the Fraggles. So they, of course, have to make their their timely escape just in time for them to, yeah, escape. Yeah, after a big trial. And, uh, oh, yeah, they want, to do, they want to do a fair trial. So this naive little yellow Fraggle actually <laughs> believes that they will get a fair trial. So he doesn't release all of the Fraggles from the cage they're trapped in. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I like Wembley. He's a he's a good guy. He just <laughs> he immediately finds his place as the groveling and uh, submissive subject of these weird gawks. Mm-hmm. And uh, when his friends come along, he just tries to uh, indoctrinate them into this cult of gawk worshiping. Yeah, 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 he's a very naive and sweet little person. Uh, but then, yeah, they escape, and then they have a little talk, uh, basically about how it was to be captured. And then comes the sentence. That is wonderful, and I think this is already a contender for the most Randian sentence in in, in Fraggle Shrugged so far. Yeah, it goes while they're talking in in bed at night, and he's trying really hard, Gobo, to get to sleep. And then he says, "I mean, it didn't seem like I was a slave. I guess some slavery feels like freedom. I didn't notice what they were doing to me until they tried to do it to you." Oh yeah, and that was just that hit me so hard listening to that sentence. Like, well, that is what the fuck. Add some weird ass uh, adjectives and stuff, and you got uh, straight out of. Uh, Could have been straight out of Atlas Rugged. I mean, just uh, I'm looking for the sentence here because contrast this with uh, what the wife says that ends this chapter of the book. Mm-hmm. A chain, she said. Appropriate, isn't it? It's the chain by which he holds us all in bondage. So, yeah. the closing sentiments of these, uh, the chapter and the episode are basically the same. Aha. Interesting. I didn't really, I didn't really catch that. Actually, that's that's interesting. Yeah, and and I mean, that's a, that's a dark undertone to this uh, sort of fragile chapter, actually, because uh, I don't know how much you caught of that. But Gobo gets that postcard from his uncle, traveling Matt, who's out in uh, outer space, which is just our world, mm-hmm. where he has some uh, experiences. And uh, Gobo reads this postcard aloud while the the fragiles are captured in, in a cage. Um, to cheer them up and it turns out that uh, Matt's experience is that oh some creatures are just uh, are just more content not being free some people <laughs> some creatures are just more suited to slavery oh yeah that's right it was with the with the kites <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, because he's just walking oh, around in daylight broad daylight and nobody sees this fraggle just walking around but he sees people flying kites in the park and people going around selling balloons with uh, like helium so they float Mm -hmm. and he thinks oh god these are captured creatures held in slavery so he uh, frees the balloons by cutting the wire and they fly away into freedom and he's so happy then he goes to the kite and cuts the wire and the kite just lands and he thinks oh my god it likes being the slave of this guy and this is where like Fraggle Rock get into like weird existential subject. Like it's weird. Oh, this entire episode is very existential because also Wembley has a song that he sings, which is also oh, yeah, his song. stuff like "I'm always here, I'm never there, I'm never ever anywhere." My hair comes with me everywhere. Yes, it's it's really really dark. I would actually go as far as uh, to say if we contrast the the two chapters, the chapter of the book and the chapter of the of the TV series, mm. I would actually say that Fraggle Rock is like the more like somber and dark one this time. Yeah, it's it's very uh, philosophical and very uh, contemplative and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, dark. It's not very uplifting at all. No, not at all. It's very depressing. But uh, again, this is where I begin to question, is this a children's show? Because how much of this would children get at all? I mean, I watched this episode a lot as a kid and I didn't get the darkness that much. 
<laughs> Look how that turned out. Yeah, I'm completely messed up. So, wow. Um, yeah, dark shit, dark shit. So I think that the, we're nearing an episode title here: dark shit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe too uh, expletive, but uh, I think there are a lot of uh, contenders for titles here. Oh yes, um, but I think the, so. We we um, we have to keep a hold of the characters as we were talking about last time. Yeah, may- maybe it's a good time to uh, to just introduce who these main fraggles are because mm-hmm. there's a core bunch that are in every episode, and then we are one-offs. I think. So we have uh, we have Gobo, who's the main character. The purple and orange character. Yes. Um, he's a reluctant hero. He's trying to be good, but he's also a little afraid. And then we have Wimbly, who's the yellow character we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just wants to please everybody, basically. And he's a bit nervous and jumpy. And very conflict averse. Mm-hmm. And then we have Boober, uh, the red and green, with this giant hat over his eyes. Uh, and he's very superstitious and scared of the world. And then we have the red fraggle. Also called red, <laughs> very appropriately. <laughs> yes, it was, uh, was female um, and daredevil and like, yeah, uh, but like not a lot of character other than that, really. Not yet. I mean, not to uh, to to go into wokeness yet, mm-hmm. but um, we get a lot of focus on all the male fraggles in this episode, and the females are just there. Mm-hmm. Maybe get a line or maybe two. But in general, across the two episodes, uh, or the, the, the chapter of the book and the episode, we don't have a lot of strong female characters this time around. No. We have one final female uh, fraggle. Nice alliteration. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Moki, a turquoise, gray, purplish, weird, new age, hippie, kind of just floating around and being there. Mm-hmm. Fraggle. Um, but we do get some interesting things because we get from Wembley a description of each of the other fraggles. So we get from his perspective a sort of what their value to the world is. Yeah, this is during the trial where he actually have to value them and gets one of the what the judge to actually cry because it's so beautiful the way he yeah. describes them. And Gobo knows all the crannies in, in the caves of Fraggle Rock. And Moki knows songs and Red knows games and Booba, well, Booba knows special stuff that means a lot to him. Mm-hmm. And again, Booba's relatable. I feel like the Booba of uh, whatever group I'm in. I, I, I could get behind that. Um, yeah. But this is also where we can get into like political ideologies because this is a very like, s- strong socialist uh, universe. Yeah, the the, the fraggle. Uh, yeah, the the fraggledom. Because Boober is allowed to not have intrinsic value at all, except like being happy. Well, not unhappy. <laughs> He's not really happy. <laughs> I mean, he, he, the the fraggle's main thing is being happy, and Boober doesn't really qualify for that, I think. But he still gets a role in society. He gets his bread and his water and his place to sleep, and mm-hmm. that's beautiful. That. Everybody has a place there. Yeah. And that is not the case in uh, Ayn Rand's universe. I can slowly get the feel. <laughs> yeah. It's not a strong socialist society they built up. You think? Uh, something tells me not. Yeah. Um, but other than that, do we have any like obvious overlaps between the two this time around? 
I mean, we have all the slavery stuff mm -hmm. and the bondage and tra being trapped because Hank Reardon feels trapped within this family, mm -hmm. but he's also enslaving them, they feel. So these people just feel trapped with each other. And we get to see his family and this family dynamic. And what do we have in the Fraggles? Also a family with a weird sense dynamic and a relation to slavery in the in the gorks so chains chains are a, are a big subject this time around yeah chains and slavery really mm -hmm. and family the chain of family and slavery so this is sort of the thematic headline yeah we could have had the the fleetwood mac song playing under this the entire time Yeah, I'm not going to do that because I'm afraid of a copyright infringement. Yeah, yeah. At this point, um, I think our the least of our worries are Fleetwood Mac with this uh, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they may have, maybe there's some uh, record executive who has a very strong Ayn Rand boner. Yeah, maybe, or maybe not. I I could uh, I could see Fleetwood Mac being a bit pissed of being put in the same universe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that would be the main objection, just being associated with Atlas Shrugged here. I think our saving grace is associating them with Fraggle Rock. Yeah. That's, uh, that's going to save us. But should we get into a Fifty Shades of Gold? Because I've been looking forward to this one. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. I'll grab the book here. Uh, because it's pretty obvious that we're going for the descriptions of the metal this time around. Because, boy, <laughs> oh, yeah. is, is that a thing. So... Where do we uh, where do we take it from? I, I I guess for the listeners at home, if they want to read along, we're on page thirty three. Yeah, the bottom of page thirty three in the fiftieth anniversary edition. Yes, it was the first heat for the first order of Reardon metal. To the men at the tap hole of the furnace inside the mills, the first break of the liquid metal into the open came as a shocking sensation of the morning. The narrow streak pouring through space had the pure white color of sunlight. Black coils of stream were boiling upwards, streaked with violent red. Fountains of sparks shut in beating spasms, as from broken arteries. The air seemed torn to rags, reflecting a raging flame that was not there. Red blotches whirling and running through space, as if not to be contained within a man-made structure, as if about to consume the columns, the girders, the bridges of cranes overhead. But the liquid metal had no expect of violence. It was a long, white curve with the texture of satin and the friendly radiance of a smile. It flowed obediently through a spout of clay with two brittle borders to restrain it. It felt through twenty feet of space down into a ladle that held two hundred tons. 
A flow of stars hung above the stream, leaping out of its placid smoothness, looking delicate as lace and innocent as children's sparklers. Only at a closer glance could one notice that the white satin was boiling. Splashes flew out at times and fell to the ground below. They were metal and cooling while hitting the soil. They burst into flame. Two hundred tons of metal, which was to be harder than steel, running liquid at a temperature of four thousand degrees, had the power to annihilate every wall of the structure and every one of the men who worked by the stream. But every inch of its course, every pound of its pressure, and the content of every molecule within it were controlled and made by a conscious intention that had worked upon it for ten years. So wow, wow! It was a bit long, but just you really needed to get that sense of what it's like to read this fucking book and I, I really like the idea of just one listener sitting out there with the biggest boner of his life that's <laughs> yeah just i had no idea you could feel these things <laughs> because hank reardon sure as shit feels his metal oh yeah shit. <laughs> and this is not just exaggerating we could have read this in the most deadpan voice ever and it would have still been a very erotic thing yeah it's really intense Jesus. Yes, I think that speaks perfectly for itself. That's wow. Some people I, just love metal. Yeah, I guess. But this is the Randy verse after all, and it's always running at eleven. It's hundred and ten percent all of the time. Yeah, she's never off, and and Hank is no. not off when he's close to metal. That he's very close to being off. But uh, Jesus, yeah. But just on the on the topic of this language, I just want to mention what goes for casual conversation in the Randyverse. Yes. As it's just some guy on a train idly speculates. Of what importance is an individual in the titanic collective achievements of our industrial age? Which is what you're saying, casual conversation, I guess. Yes, exactly. That, that's just casual reflection to someone on the train. Like, hello, and then you just blabber that into someone's face. <laughs> yeah. And when we meet Reardon's wife, Lillian, this is what she's uh, idly speaking about over tea. But it's just that a man of culture is bored with the alleged wonders of purely material ingenuity. He simply refuses to get excited about plumbing. Jeez, the level of self-seriousness in this book are just through <laughs> the fucking roof. Yeah, I mean, I love the sentence. He, he simply refuses to get excited about plumbing. <laughs> I mean, what a barbarian person that's not excited about plumbing. Jesus. Yeah, the language, it, it, it is hollow as hell, but it is expressive. Yeah, I mean, she sure has a good thesaurus, that's for sure. You must imagine, like, Ayn Rand, like, Typing that fucking metal sequence and just being like shivering. I mean, she's she's moist, <laughs> very moist. Yeah. I think uh, <laughs> it, it earned its title, "The Fifty Shades of Gold." That's yeah, Jesus. 
Okay, on this uh, lurid and, uh, and uh, erotic note, let's move on to some wokeness. Yes. And apologize for our sexualization of this of this classic novel. Oh, to the listeners out there who really enjoyed it, you're welcome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so wokeness, what do we have this time? We don't have a lot in the Fraggle universe we were speaking about. Um... I actually have something there. Oh. Um, because among those gawks, there's, uh, we see domestic violence. We see uh, the king beat up his kid. Oh. The queen uh, beating her husband. So there's a cycle of abuse going on there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, this is not common to them, which is uh, disturbing. Mm. I mean, I was disturbed. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I can see <laughs> what you mean. I can see what you mean. Yeah. They, they ascribe to old traditional family values, that's for sure. Yeah, but they, they are a royal family, so it makes sense that they're more uh, regressive and old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. And the way they, they paint them as the aristocracy with the fucking wigs on when they had the trial. <laughs> it's a trial. I mean, they don't have any subjects, but of course they have a full trial get up ready. <laughs> and, and as the kid says, Gork Court is now in session. The Honorable Judge Daddy presides. Oh, yeah, the Judge Daddy, yes. <laughs> judge Daddy. It's just also that, very erotic. That's a fucking title, then. <laughs> yeah. But. There is some erotic uh, undertones in Fraggle Rock. I mean, I will note this is the 80s. Mm-hmm. This is two episodes in. Fraggle Rock has used the words penetrated and erect. Yes. And also in the context of a song, they made sure to use banging and blowing. So they must have. You could read something into this. They must have known. Like in general, the writers on that show must have known what they were doing. You don't tend to use erect and penetrated casually without it. <laughs> Unless you're Iron Rand. Then you just use them uh, all oh, the time. Like yeah, interchangeable with every single other word. Yeah, so the sentence with erect in it just immediately qualifies it for a Randian sentence as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, do we have some wokeness in the, in the Atlas Shrugged universe this time around? I mean, Paul Larkin seems like a closeted gay man. Hmm. Yeah, that's... That, that could be ascribed as, as a wokeness thing. And he's actually expressing his homosexuality. Yeah, towards. either that or he's just a really good friend, which is also commendable. Maybe we have like a bromance going here, actually. Yeah. Very progressive in that way. It doesn't seem seem reciprocated. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't seem like Hank really likes Paul. Not as much as Paul likes Hank anyway. Maybe going in with the whole idea of the chain. He's just a masochist. Yeah. And we do have a strong female character in Lillian, who's just... Uh, I mean, I like her. I yeah. think she's my favorite character she's, so far. She's sassy. At least. In, yeah. She's witty. She uh, she enjoys herself. Yeah. Even defends her stupid-ass husband. <laughs> and on the other hand, the mother is just a shrew, which mm-hmm. is a bit of a cliche. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, the Bechdel tests were in... Two female characters we learned the name of must have a conversation about something other than a man. So does the mother and the girlfriend actually speak about anything but the man? No, and we don't learn the name of the mother. Oh, so that's right. fail. And uh, Fraggle Rock fails as well. Yes. Maybe, maybe it will achieve the status of actually passing this test at some point, but um, not so far. Sooner or later, it must simply by accident or something. (laughs) Those two female fraggles have got to talk about something sooner or later. Yeah, but maybe it's about the male fraggles. You'll never know. Yeah. 
So we uh, we veer into the award section. Most Fraglian sentence. Do you have any contenders? I mean, the ones I wrote down were... Um, he simply refuses to get excited about plumbing from Lillian. I thought mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's Fraglian. That could be Fraglian. Yeah. And uh, I only wanted you to be happy from Hank Reardon. Uh, yes, and the Fraggles do want to be happy. Yeah. And then we have uh, this one from Paul Larkin. Who hasn't got trouble these days? It made me miss Madame Trash Heap. So I put it in there. Oh, yeah, Madame Trash Heap. I really hope we get back into that character because, damn, I yeah, she's a good character. Yeah, so these weren't the strongest because I've, I found it hard to some, find something really fragile in mm-hmm, this one. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna vote on the on the plumbing side. Yeah, that's a good sentence. Yes. Um, and for the other side, Randy and sentences in mm-hmm. Fraggle Rock, we have Gobo saying, "Come on, everybody, we've got work to do." <laughs> yes, <laughs> that I mean, that hits the spot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wembley says. They don't deserve thumping. They deserve good stuff. They deserve to live. And that sounds like something a villain in Atlas Shrugged would say. <laughs> yes. And the same with the sentence. You can't punish them without a fair trial. That's very villainous in the Atlas Shrugged. That's very villainous because uh, yeah, a fair trial is just a waste of time in a socialist regime, right? Oh, yeah. That's socialism. That's not a monopolistic uh, free market capitalism. Exactly. They judged themselves when they entered the working force. Oh, yeah. Uh, I still think we should go for the, I mean, it didn't seem like I was a slave. I guess some slavery feels like freedom. I didn't notice that they were doing this to me until they tried to do it to you. I think it's a perfect sentence in this regard. Yeah, I mean, I have two contenders more. Yes. One of them uh, is close to that point, which is some creatures value freedom more than others. Oh, Oh, yeah, there's also that. And uh, I'm the king of the universe and nobody cares, <laughs> which Hank would say, I think. <laughs> With metal in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, just metal streaming all around him exactly. in a blaze of glory. <laughs> blaze of dust and glory and metal. Yeah. <laughs> and, and spasms of blood and boiling. And, and white streams. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, so I think it's much easier to find something uh, Randian in yeah. Fraggle Shrug this time than the other way around. And I think all of them are good contenders. I think in in going with the theme of the chain, I think we should go with one of the slavery ones. Yeah, maybe that uh, Wembley deserves it because he's sort of the main uh, character we really get into in this episode. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's hand it to him. Perfect sentence there, Wembley. Beautifully done. You've earned it, buddy. Yes. So the best character this time around? Yes. Um, for Atlas Shrugged, I would like to nominate Hank Reardon's wife, Lillian. I could get, I could so get behind that. She's the most sassy person. She's actually a human. That's perfect. Yeah. The most reasonable and self-aware character we've met yet. Yes. And also just Paul Larkin, because that, goddammit, that weird boyish old man. Is <laughs> <laughs> the dangly old man. Or yeah. I, I he was plumish. The brother was gangly. <laughs> That's right. But he looked boyish, but he's way older than Hank. Yes. So He looks both young and old and thick and thin at the same time. It's, it's yeah. magical. And he's moist. Moist. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I have a soft spot for Lillian and a moist spot for Paul. <laughs> I think this could be a perfect episode title, like Moist Metal. 
<laughs> Maybe. Yes. <laughs> But who do you think should win? I think the wife. Yeah. Let's go with the wife. She deserves it. Um, And for Fraggle uh, Rock, I nominate the Gork King because, goddammit, he's just uh, living his illusion. He's, mm-hmm. goddammit, he owns it. It's it's nice to see someone so comfortable in being completely deluded. Yes. I guess, uh, like, for the title of Judge Daddy, I want to... <laughs> <laughs> uh, But yeah, uh, and the other nominee for best fraggle character is uh, I think Mr. Shemmelfenny deserves some attention. Mm-hmm. We don't see him yet; he has such a screen presence. <laughs> Apparently, into choking. <laughs> yeah, sure. But um, here, I would like to bring out a little uh, fan theory I've concocted. Yes, shoot, because this is really the space for fan theories. Yes, and we have these two characters, and I noticed something. In this Gork kingdom, right? Yes. So the Fraggle Rock caves, those are caves, those are underground. But the Gorks have a garden uh-huh. with a sky. And at night we see a moon in the sky. So this suggests that they're actually above ground. Uh-huh. That they're outside, that they're just living somewhere. So it seems like they're just living in Duck's neighborhood. Yeah. Um, but they're pretty close by. So maybe they're his neighbor? Oh. And maybe Mr. Schimmelfinny is the King Gork. Oh. So, mind blown, mm. right? Mm. Yes, yes, yes. I can see it. I can see it. So, I suspect that these uh, Gork guys are just walking around in the world and just living there. And just so, would would they be walking around, because we were talking about having the Atlas Shrugged universe as the above ground universe, and then the Fracklian universe to be the uh, below ground universe? So, in this case, are they living in the Atlas Shrugged universe? They would be. It's very likely that some of the characters in Atlas Shrugged are just gawks, and Ayn Rand just doesn't mention it because it's so regular, so every day. They don't seem they don't seem gangly, that's for sure. No. Or skeletal. I think we should keep our eyes out for any lingering gawks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's a. If any character expresses a desire for a return to monarchy and aristocratic rule, I think it's very likely that they're Gork. Perhaps this is this is actually the the, the king is actually Hank Reardon. Oh, that's likely. Yeah, or maybe a cousin. Yeah, yeah, it could uh, stay in the family. Then we have to keep an eye out, I think, in order to connect it all to a railroad in the Fraggle Rock universe. Yes, because that that's gonna that's gonna connect it. The rails. Do they have a subway? <laughs> But um, going back to the awards. Yes. Who do you think should win, the Gork King or Mr. Schimmelfinny, or maybe they're the same person? Ooh, I think they should win as the same person. Yeah, so so she would just agree that they're the same guy. They're they're the same person from now on yeah. until we we know otherwise. Your fan theory holds. I mean, it's like a innocent until proven guilty, uh, like a like a scientific theory. Yes, like I think we ascribe to uh, positivism here. Like uh, there are no black swans until we see a black swan, like Karl Popper and all that shit. Uh-huh. So until we see Mr. Schimmelfenny, we have no reason to believe that he's not a gawk. Because science bitches. Yes, yes. we just signed your asses. 
It's a very scientific podcast. Yeah, yeah. You're learning stuff. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. So those are the characters. Those are the characters. So the best phrase and the last award in this round? Yes. Um, I have four from Atlas Shrugged. Mm -hmm. Shoot. I think Reardon Life is fun mm -hmm. because uh, Reardon is the kind of guy that puts his name on everything. He has Reardon Ore, Reardon Coal, Reardon Limestone. And then he wished it were possible to light a neon sign above them saying Reardon Life. Yeah, I thought that was very bombastic and very. And it has a wonderful stop in the because I was listening to the audiobook version. It has a wonderful pause and then <laughs> read in life. <laughs> oh my god, that's a that's a dimension I'm missing from reading it. <laughs> it is it, it concerns it. It's really it's a good reading of the book. That's that's nice. <laughs> my second one is uh, a bit longer, but I it needed the entire thing. Mm -hmm. The cheerless look of a nudity not worth revealing. Wow. The cheerless look of a nudity not worth revealing. And this is about yes. a house, by the way. <laughs> the house stood on a hill, rising before him like a big white bulk. It looked naked with a few semi-colonial pillars for a reluctant ornament. It had the cheerless look of a nudity not worth revealing. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Get over yourself, I. No, no, just, just bring it. Just, <laughs> I just want more of this at this point. Oh, you'll get it. There are a thousand pages left. Holy shit! <laughs> yes, because I can see from the book, from what we read, like we, not even like we haven't even made a dent in it. No, no, it's this is uh, <laughs> this is continuing for a long Jesus. time. What what have we done? And uh, we also have a. Um, Nice, uh, like last episode, we had personal emotion. And we have sort of a mirror image here is in causeless affection. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, he mm -hmm. despised causeless affection just as he despised unearthed mm -hmm. wealth. They professed to love him for some unknown reason and they ignored all the things for which he could wish to be loved. He wondered what response they could hope to obtain from him in such manner if his response was what they wanted. So... This is Hank Reardon simply not being able to understand that family sometimes just love each other because they're family. Nope, <laughs> nope, that's not. Incapable of getting it into his thick, gangly skull. It's <laughs> gaunt. But, but do they love metal? That's the question. <laughs> it, they obviously don't, and that's the big problem. because It's going to create a giant divide between them. Yeah. Because they, they can't talk about metal, and what are they supposed to talk about then? Yeah, they, do, they don't have anything in common. Uh, so, causeless affection, candidate three. The last one, we, we got this one earlier, but I just, we really need it here. Uh -huh. Savagely overabundant vitality. Savagely overabundant vitality. This is about uh, Paul Larkin and Hank Reardon. Mm -hmm. His motive in the relationship seemed to resemble the need of an anemic person who receives a kind of living transfusion from the mere sight of a savagely overabundant vitality. Savagely overabundant vitality. That is the manliest three words <laughs> ever put together. It is. Hank Reardon is rock hard, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or metal hard. <laughs> yeah, like steel. Yeah, hard like steel. Uh, I think I'm going to go with the last one. <laughs> yeah. I think the vitality of it all. It's that's so powerful. Very fitting with this episode. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and from uh, Fraggle Rock, uh, I mean, the the some slavery feels like freedom is just a yeah. great sentence. We have touched on that plenty earlier. And then the king saying uh, to his son, Son, I wouldn't give you a brass meatball for a fraggle. Yeah. I think a brass meatball for a fraggle is also a mm-hmm, 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 nice mm-hmm, little mm-hmm. Uh, chunk of words. And we get another metro mention. Again, uh, hinting at some uh, gawk, gawkness in Hungary. Yeah, some connection. I think I could go with that. That, that's, uh, that would be good for me. Yeah. Uh, so what do we uh, end up with as the title for this episode? I think uh, Moist Metal. <laughs> I think, <laughs> thinking that that would be a descriptive title that would also go in... Not <laughs> the savagely overabundant vitality of a brass meatball. Ooh, that is also... <laughs> that is also basically <laughs> what we're going to say. Let's let's stick with that. Let's stick with that as well. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> There's actually overabundance of a brass meatball. <laughs> it's Randian, that's for sure. Wow! And on that note, let's uh, let's close this down before I uh, yeah <laughs> before you uh, you uh, drown in metal. You get too moist at Steelheart. Yes. <laughs> Until next time. Bye. This podcast is produced by Monegale Media, a small and independent Danish media collective. If you want to learn more about this podcast and our other projects, visit our website at maanegal.dk. That is Monegale with two A's up front, .dk. At the moment, most of our stuff is in Danish, but we are looking to expand our selection in English in the future. So, you know, stay tuned. To the madness. <laughs>